When you think of the Falklands, chances are the first thing you think of is war. They took off from airfields in southern Argentina, equipped with Exocet missiles. Both ships were hit. Sir Galahad was immediately in flames. Maybe Margaret Thatcher? Come to talk to the people here, to pay tribute to those who liberated the island. Maybe the British Empire. Maybe Gibraltar comes to mind. Maybe you remember watching the conflict unfold on your television screen, seeing British forces fight to defend a small, rugged landscape 8,000 miles away. But there's a lot more to the Falkland Islands than 74 days of conflict 40 years ago. The story of the islands and of the islands themselves is rich, unique, and sometimes strange. The conflict, while a small part of the island's history, marks a turning point for the Falklands, a point that creates a duality, a before and after, a rural difficult life, transforming into one of relative prosperity for its inhabitants. Since then, the way of life for Falkland Islanders has forever changed. You're listening to The Falklands Way of Life, a short podcast series produced by Falkland Islands Television. I'm your host, Charles Kershaw, and in this short series I explore the lives of inhabitants living in the remote British Overseas Territory and how life has changed over the past 200 years. This is The Falklands Way of Life. The Falklands, they got their own personality, if you like. I have good memories of that time. Our standards of living were lower then, but I think generally people probably um, appreciated what they had. We're going to have to accept the fact there's going to be a new Falklands. We cannot stay an anachronism, and we're achieving that now. All the change, pretty much, has been for the better in my, my eyes. After four decades of major changes, the Falklands today looks very different from the Falklands of the past. The present-day Falklands is a diverse, modern community, economically prosperous and more capable of looking after its own. However, there are still many quirks that are immediately obvious when you first get to the islands that make it stand out from the rest of the world and make living in the Falklands a very different experience to living in Britain. Well, I mean, I didn't really know much about the Falklands before I came here. I remember my dad kept joking, like, oh, yeah, you'll see a load of penguins. And I was like, what do you mean? You know, that's how much I knew about the Falklands when I just saw the job ad and just said on a whim, oh, I'll apply for that, why not? Um, Obviously, I knew about H2 and things like that. But, you know, and then I did my research a bit more and then, you know, thought, oh, actually, that'd be quite cool to go and look at. So I thought I'd speak to my co-worker, Catherine, to understand what her first experiences of the Falklands were and how she adapted to living here, having spent her whole life, up to the point that she arrived here, living in the UK. Can you remember your first memories of actually getting here and kind of starting life in the Falklands and what that was like? Yeah, I do. I remember it quite vividly, actually. So I got here in September 2020 when we were still quarantining on arrival. Um, So I was picked up by a Penguin travel bus. And I remember there was, I mean, it was an old bus. So, you know, I was like, oh, it's funny, like oil smell. You know, and then I started to really worry. I was like, does all of the Falklands smell like this? <laughs> no, I don't know if it does or if I've just become used to it or maybe, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's just the bus. Coming to the Falklands, it was the first flight I'd ever taken. So, you know, an 18 hour one, I like to throw myself in the deep end. And uh, the only person I knew was Hannah. She just said to the bus driver, she was like, right, this is Catherine. Can you, you know, let her know, make sure she knows when to get off the bus? And he took that as, it was very nice actually, he took that as, right, sit up the front and I'm going to give you a personal tour. So there was all these people on this minibus and I got to sit in the passenger seat next to the driver. And he's going along the road and that sort of pointed out 
pitch black, pointing out all these things like, oh, here's Goose Green, and this is where battles fought, and like that hill on your left is Sapper's Hill, and that's Tumble Down, and all sorts. I was like, oh wow, the Falklands is so friendly. You know, there wouldn't be a bus driver in the UK who'd do this. <laughs> it was definitely like, what, what have I just done? Where, where am I? Um, but I think the two weeks in quarantine actually gave me time to sort of sit and realise where I was. And then, you know, looking out the ocean. I remember um, outside my hotel room window, there was, there, well, there was loads of upland geese um, just outside. And I remember taking pictures of them, opening the curtains on the first day and being like, oh my gosh, that bird is amazing. Taking loads of like zoomed in photos of this upland goose and sending it to my mum. Like, mum, 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 I'm not sure what this bird is. And doing loads of research, like, this is it. And then I got out of quarantine and saw them everywhere. And I was like, oh. <laughs> What kind of things kind of stuck out to you that you, that you that you felt were difficult to adapt to at the start? I mean, in terms of like remoteness, obviously the Falklands as a whole is a lot different to the UK, more remote. But you know, where I'm from in Worcestershire, it's quite a rural area, and you know, I'm just from a small village, which you know, there's got its similarities and it's a small community, but complete differences in that I know like one the name of one name of somebody who lives in my village. I've no idea who they are. I think one of the difficult things, sort of get used to was the internet um, and obviously getting used to the fact that that's limited in terms of data and stuff and realising that, you know, I can't be on, you know, watching TikToks all the time or, you know, Netflix and stuff. So, you know, I've noticed that the time spent on Instagram has definitely reduced because, you know, the posts won't load so I don't go on it as much. I think the fresh fruit and veg is another one that people do complain about quite a lot, but I guess that doesn't really apply to you as much. Yeah, I've got my weird, my weird fruit allergy, which is highly annoying anywhere else. But you know, here it does save me a lot of money because I'm not yeah. paying. Although I did see in the shop the other day just a, a pepper. I wanted to buy a pepper um, to cook with. It was f over five pounds, and so I took a photo of it to send to my mum. I was like, "What is this?" Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that is obviously the cost of food and, and things. The ability to kind of shape your life here, I think, is is brilliant uh, and it's something I, I took for granted before I went away um, and I didn't really fully understand. Nick Roberts, deputy editor of the Penguin News, grew up in Stanley before living in the UK for many years. Since the Falklands is you know, so small comparatively to other places, um, your awareness of what's going on and where your opportunities may be uh, is just so much greater. I mean, everyone comes to know most people, you know, you, you get your way around and, and if, you're, if you're good at what you do, then people are going to notice that, right? And then also the being able to get out to the beach and see penguins and seals and, you know, be, be in touch with nature here is fantastic. Um, I, I absolutely adore that. Um, I actually think I do more in the Falklands than I ever did in the UK, let's say in London. You know, there'll be, yeah, thousands of events happening every night of the week. But you don't necessarily hear about them. You don't know what's going on. It's impossible to keep track and there's decision paralysis, right? Whereas here, you know, if there's one big key event that's happening or there's a couple of big key events that are happening, you know, half the islands show up. You know, if the UK has six degrees of separation, we've probably got two. You know, when there's, you get to a time of year where suddenly there's a whole bunch of birthdays, and it's like every night of the week, you know, you're out, you're going to a government house reception, there's some other event on the weekend, there's someone's birthday on Wednesday. The opportunity to do so many things is there. I mean, the main thing I'd say is it's quite a relaxed way of life, I'd say. Um, it's quite laid back, you know, 
I'll go places, I won't lock my car, partly because it doesn't lock, um, but you know, it's not, I'm not that worried about it, you know, I'll, you know, people go out, they leave their houses unlocked and things like that, and it's very relaxed, which was very odd when I first got here, I was like, wait, people just go around and leave everything unlocked, like, what's going on? Everyone knows everyone, and it's, you, you know, you go to the shop and you'll bump into, you know, 10 different people that you know, and you just wanted to be five minutes in the shop, and it can turn into a really big trip. When I was 14 or 15, um, before moving to the UK, I think it probably, I wouldn't have had any kind of quarrel or quibble with the, if someone had said, oh yeah, you know, the Falklands are like a little slice of England um, off on the coast of South America. But it was really actually once I moved there that I saw just how different we are. There's a combination of clearly this kind of the island mindset in general and the small town mindset. There were a lot of folks who I, who I met in college, um, I was in Chichester in West Sussex. So I noticed the Falkland Islanders when, you know, we had security in the college and such, we, all the Falkland Islanders were fine talking to 30, 40 year olds, you know, would sit there and have a chat, have a bit of a yarn, just yeah. like they're another person, which they are, of course. But all the other 15 and 16 year olds that were in this college towards the residence treated them as very other. And I did have a couple of times that that was specifically people guessed that I was from the Falklands, you know, college security and staff, because they would just notice that I would be willing to chat with them. Everyone's part of the community, right? And there's a lot of accountability, I think, in that. You know, if you're, if you're rude to someone in the shop, you're going to bump into them again. It took me a while to get out of the level of trust I had for people in general when I was first in the UK. A, a great example of that, I think, is I wound up managing a bar when I was in university. But a guy came in saying, He'd been sent by someone to collect the empty kegs from the bar. Um, that had never happened while I was there before. And I guess maybe they can be sold for scrap metal or something. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, that's great. Cool, help yourself. And I just let this complete stranger go into the back room of the bar, collect all the empty kegs, plus I think a couple of bottles of spirits. Um, and then I tipped him as well, you know? I think it goes to show, you know, there's this essence of, you know, because why would, why would someone lie? You know, and that was up and it took me a while to get out of that mindset. What would you say to somebody who's thinking about coming to live in the Falklands, like, and, or they are already planning to come here? What kind of things should they know? Um, well, I mean, I think as I told you on the phone, that, that phone call, I was like, make sure you've got a coat, Charles. And I remember you saying, oh, somebody told me it doesn't get that cold. And I was really worried. I was like, oh, no, does Charles realise what he's letting himself in I've for? I've never heard the end of that. <laughs> yeah, no, you haven't. Because I was like, oh, my goodness. And, you know, really had to drill it in. And I was like, no, Charles, please, please bring a coat. It does get cold. And I was really worried that you thought it was some kind of tropical paradise and you were going to hate it. Um, and I was like, no, don't bring your coat, please. And I think it proved when you're in quarantine, I'm sure I remember it snowing. <laughs> it seems like it's really far away and, you know, out in the middle of nowhere and it's, you know, survival and blah, all of that. But most stuff that you need, if you forget to pack it, you can get it here or you can get it posted. We're not, you know, cut off from the rest of society. I think one of the main things I remember somebody said to me before I got here was, coming down here they're like oh just say yes to everything and just go and do everything so I was just like okay cool so I just started saying yes to everybody and everything and you know ended up hanging out with sort of the most random people and so I think the first few months I was pretty much busy every single night of the week went out was doing stuff all the time they got to a weekend I was like oh I just really need to sleep like I've not stopped since I got here is there anything that you kind of still struggle with about living here or things that you kind of wish 
would change about the way that the Falklands kind of operates generally? Um, I think, I mean, sometimes I still think it's like, you know, the lack, lack of trees, for example, you know, normally autumn is like one of my favourite seasons and there isn't really an autumn here because, you know, it's sort of suddenly it's snowing one day and, you know, the seasons are very um, mixed. You know, in the UK, you've got clear distinctions between like each four seasons. I mean, I still find it a little bit odd that Christmas is in summer. But again, that's one of those things that I quite like that because I think if Christmas was in winter here and it was festive and cosy and like it was in the UK, I think I'd miss Christmas at home a lot more. But because it's in the summer, I'm like, it doesn't feel like Christmas. You know, I'm not missing out on Christmas because it's not really happening because it's not Christmas here. It's just like a big fun summer holiday where everyone goes to the races and has barbecues and, you know, it's nice. But um, I finally got used to the wind, I think. I've learnt now to grab hold of the car door before I pull the thing to open it so it doesn't blow off its hinges. The Falklands today is no longer in a desperate situation. Gone are the days of cussing peat and surviving almost entirely off your own crops, vegetables and livestock. Economic reserves mean that even if the islands experience a poor fishing season, the government has enough money to keep the economy afloat for two and a half years. But like anywhere else, the islands have their own set of unique issues. The Falklands is a transient society, which means that a good portion of the population are on short-term work contracts, often for less than a year. There is a constant cycle of people and it does get it does get tiring. There are times where it's like, oh, you know, don't go, you know, <laughs> because you get you get folks, you know, just been down long enough that you're like, oh yeah, you know, these people are great. And then off they zoom to the next exciting place. That can be hard. Um, and I don't know, beyond blackmailing people to stay, there's not really much you can do. Um, but I think it's just something you have to kind of learn to roll with after a while, you know, because it's, it's either that or become become cold with people, which is is unpleasant. So it's much better to just actually to quote some what is it? Moulin Rouge, better to have loved and have lost. <laughs> um, but saying that, I mean whenever I go on holiday, I and mean, when I was last on holiday in the UK, I sent out a bunch of messages and said to people, Look, you're more than welcome to come and stay with me. You know, come and visit, it'd be great if we had a weekend in London, had a weekend in Sheffield, had a weekend wherever. Um, and I caught up with a lot of people. Links to South America, which could boost trade and access to the Falklands, are still caught up in geopolitics. Sam Cockwell lives in Stanley, having grown up on Fox Bay, and has his own electric vehicle company, E-Link. And there's good reason why we get a lot of our products and things from the UK. There's a very good reason why we'll continue to do that. However, there's an awful lot of stuff that we get from the UK. There's no real reason why we'd import from 8,000 miles away. It's absolutely insane. However, our relationship with our South American neighbours, um, well, actually it's very good with some of them. Um, one of them is not great. And as a result of that, our relationship with the others is, is um, limited. And I've always seen that as a great show. Like I think there's, you know, we culturally have a you know, uh, a war hanging over us from 40 years ago, which in inevitably still does. Um, but I think it's really important to try and to try and move past the the messaging and the, the kind of the kind of stuff we had 40 years ago, you know, that, that led to that and led to all the, the you know, the deaths and, and the amount of people who gave their lives for for our freedom and people who, you know, fought on the other side as well. The way that international politics is going now with quite entrenched views becoming quite mainstream. I don't really see it changing much, sadly. So that's kind of a shame, you know, and I'd, I'd like to see that change, um, but I'm probably onto a bit of a full-on hope, I think. The Falkland Islands Constitution and the role of the island's governor, who acts on behalf of the British state to oversee government policy, 
always looks to be reviewed. For some, it's seen as an antiquated role or a remnant of the island's colonial past. You can still see some sort of uh, leftover elements from when we were when we weren't self-governing. Um, and this is where those you know, sort of some constitutional changes with how the governor functions here needs to be, I would say, needs to happen. There was no reason when Britain had the, the amount of territory that it did so far as they were seeing things from an organisational aspect to create different packages for every place. You know, they make a governor, they give him a nice fancy uniform and they plonk him in and, you know, they have a nice shiny sword and it, it, it all looks, you know, they, all of the pomp and circumstance that comes with that. Because at the moment, you know, the Falklands are a, you know, entirely self-governing um, territory. Uh, and essentially what the UK provides is the defence because there is still a claim made against us. It's a very mutually beneficial relationship at the moment with the UK. But in terms of the Falklands being a British overseas territory, I can't imagine it changing. Having seen so much change over such a short period of time, it's important to consider how islanders feel about all the new developments. There's an old joke in the islands. How many Falkland Islanders does it take to change a light bulb? The response being a shocked and angry one from a stereotypical local. Change? I think there, there is a, a nucleus of people that don't like change, but there, there are people also that, that appreciate um, change for the better. I suppose the debate is what, what is better. Richard Stevens first came here in 1977. Because I think there's been such a change over 30 years that probably the, the accusation is. And, uh, and it's nice that people remember their history fondly, but I think also you get to a certain age where you, you look back, I think it's a natural thing to look back anyway. But also, you know, people that have lived here over a long period of time are worried that their way of life, you know, their identity will get erased because, you know, the, the, the change has been so great. You know, the people that have, that have come in that, that want different things. It, it, it's true because, like, if I'd been asked, let's say, in the 80s, can you... Um, tell me what you think a Falkland Islander is. Somebody, and I'd say, yeah, well, someone that's very versatile, somebody that can row a boat, shear a sheep, cut peat, you know, fix their own vehicle. That would have been my definition of a great number of, of, of local Falkland Islanders. But today, if somebody said, you know, can you, you know, what is that trait that's different and it's uh, from any other nation, it, it is, it's harder. To, to identify, or, or I find, you know, I find it harder to identify. So yeah, I mean definitely, camp has definitely stayed more in the past. Um, but you know, even there, they've, removed, they've moved largely now, most settlements, the vast majority of them are run pretty much solely on renewable power. And, you know, they're doing quite, quite a few farms and settlements are doing innovative stuff with the way they deal with livestock or the way they make, you know, a new product or, or something. So, yes, the culture in camp has remained kind of a cornerstone of our culture, I guess, but it has changed um, for the better. You know, it's, it's the an opportunity to communicate and, and gather information and learn from, from others is, is way more than it used to be. So, yeah, no, it has changed. But like I say, I think there's only for the better, really. So what lies ahead of the Falklands in the years to come? While the islands seem to be on a good track, it's not as straightforward an answer as it might first appear. 
one thing is for sure, the community will become more diverse. We see new, new influences on kind of culture popping up all the time with uh, new people from different countries kind of form a, form a kind of community and that kind of gets integrated into the Portland's community and that's really cool um, and really nice to see and that you know improves us as a, as, a, as a people. The 2021 census indicates that 86 nationalities are represented in the islands. Not bad for a population of around 3,600. Not only that, but more people than ever before consider themselves both Falkland Islander as well as another nationality. The largest communities in the islands are the St Helenians, Chileans, Filipinos and Zimbabweans, the latter arriving in the islands in 2020 to demine the islands. One group does seem surprisingly well suited to the Falklands way of life, the Filipino community. Well, I grew up in Iloilo, but then later on, after I finished university, I went and worked in Cebu. So like in the Visayas area of the Philippines. Aliana Salambides has been living in the Falklands for the past five years. Um, my mom was the first one to come here. Um, she ended up, she's been here about nine years now, I think, or a little bit longer than that. And she gradually pulled the rest of the family with her. So there's three, three of us siblings and I was the last one to come down here. And since I came, I haven't left yet. <laughs> so yeah. The Filipino community in here definitely helps. It's my first time living abroad. So um, having my family in here and having um, other Filipinos definitely helped uh, with a sense of community, sense of belonging in a way. So I think that was a plus for me. It was an easier transition for me. Even in the Philippines, like it's not so obvious now in the cities in there if you live there, but if you live away from the city where the community is smaller, then definitely it's a little bit like Falklands where you kind of know everybody. Sense of community is a real thing and Filipino gatherings is, <laughs> is a thing in the Philippines um, as well because um, we always joke about like every month there's always going to be like a festival somewhere in the country. Um, so national holidays are like, you know, one thing, but then the local holidays are another thing as well. So going out to eat or having a party, we don't do it every weekend in the Philippines, but it does happen <laughs> very often. Because the Philippines is a tourist country, seeing other nationalities, seeing foreigners is a daily occurrence. So. Having that in here wasn't as jolting for me as it would have been if I came from a place where, you know, everyone was Filipino, I think. English is a common language in the Philippines, so transitioning from uh, speaking English on a daily basis rather than speaking it occasionally is a bit... <laughs> it, it does tend to... It, it's hard on the brain sometimes because, you know, there's some words or some phrases that just does not translate well on either language. So bridging the gap between the two is, is a bit hard sometimes, but it's, it, it does become easier, I think. I guess with the changes in the immigration laws, making it easier to bring your family over, I think it's gonna be a trend in the 
Filipino population is going to become bigger in the next few years. How would you describe the Falklands Filipino community? We are friendly. <laughs> so, you know, don't be intimidated. I mean, yeah, we are a friendly bunch and we cook nice food. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's a big draw. Yeah. <laughs> because of the island's newfound wealth, the Falklands aims to continue its expansion. Many large construction projects are underway, such as a new port, assisted living facility, and power station. These will be some of the most expensive projects in the island's history, costing millions of pounds, but they will also improve the resources and facilities of the Falklands. The Falklands are in a very decisive time right now. We're, we're coming into this, there's this moment, we've gotten big enough and we've got enough on the plate right now that I feel like Every individual decision has a knock-on on how we're going to exist as a country in the coming years, really. You know, do we, what is our balance of, basically, what's our, our balance of economy to environment and public welfare? The only negative aspect that I see is, is, is what Argentina can do to, to sort of stop us from developing or whatever, you know. I mean, other, other than them, there's, there's not much that would hold us back, really. The old Falcons is still in camp, but the new Falcons, and, and we're going to have to accept the fact there's going to be a new Falcons. We cannot stay an anachronism, and we're achieving that now. And you only have to look at the, you know, the amount of reserves we've got and, and the sort of things that we're building now. Over 40 years, the Falcons has been on a long journey. That journey has been difficult at times, but the progress that has been made has opened up so many possibilities for the small island quasi-nation. Perhaps the Falcons' way of life hasn't changed entirely, but it has developed and diversified in so many different ways. And there is plenty more change still to come. The Falklands is, is a, a wonderful and in its own way a kind of unique place. But the changes that we're experiencing and the, and the journey that we're on as a nation it is not unique, you know. Lots of places that were previously very isolated and, and small communities are going through this change of, you know, becoming more, more open to the global community and in various ways, looking at ways that they can make themselves more sustainable. So we're seeing large moves forward in that kind of area. We're taking a lot of moves in terms of like social justice and cohesiveness as a community and making sure that we live in an equitable and, and fair society and, and I think that's, that's really important. In my time, all our work on the sheep was done on horseback. We didn't use motorbikes or anything else at all and now they're advocating electric bikes and everything. It's a good place to live really. I do enjoy, enjoy the lifestyle, must be a reason why I've stayed. <laughs> Like I said, it, it's not for everyone, but you know, once you get used to the swing of things, it is a good place to be. Thank you for listening to the Falklands Way of Life. I'd like to thank all our interviewees for sharing their stories with us, Falkland Islands Museum and National Trust and Falkland Islands Development Corporation for their pictures, and Falklands Radio for their archive audio.